0: This is Recorded Future. Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 131 of the Recorded Future Podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest today is Jörg Schalf. He's a principal consultant at Symantec, focusing on cyber and threat intelligence. He shares his insights on the challenges he sees his clients facing in Germany and how their experiences inform proper defenses internationally. We'll discuss the differences between run-of-the-mill thieves and nation-state threat groups and how organizations can best make use of threat intelligence and set themselves up for success. Stay with us.
1: Basically I've, I was studying uh, electronics and electrotechnics uh, and electrical engineering uh, and at that time I met an old friend and he said okay uh, I need a help in our lab uh, and it was a time where MS-DOS was uh, starting and I started to uh, work on uh, electronic uh, measurement equipment for automotive uh, purposes. And during that time, I met the first firewall and so on and proxy and all that stuff, security related things. And sometime later, I met a friend from the German uh, security community from the BFE. And he was asking me, oh, we are looking for some people, won't you join us? So and then I moved uh, to the German um, domestic intelligence service, the BFE. And then I was responsible for a firewall and proxy and VPN connections to field offices. And I did pretty much anything which was somehow cybersecurity related there, antivirus, um, incident response, and so on and so on. After 10 years there, I got in contact with the, the field guys, the, the real agents that are doing the counter uh, espionage stuff and so on. And they were starting to. Uh, working on electronic attacks they called it they were wondering what is a virus what is email how does an email look like uh, Hmm. um, what's the what is an email header and then they they, I started consulting uh, internally these guys and we were quite far away from each other in that office and they said okay we have to walk a while to get to you and vice <laughs> versa then <laughs> why won't you change t- uh, to us and and move from the it department to the counter-spionage section and that when i started uh, my my work at the cyber defense yeah finally um hmm. we we um, we were the beginners in that field at that time so uh, we got in contact with all the European partners of the BFE MI Five, for example, are the French guys from uh, French intelligence services, and so on and so on. And they were asking, "Oh, we are really struggling with Chinese attacks. How do you handle this?" And we were thinking, "What Chinese attacks?" <laughs> and mm. then we we started to to look for uh, things we likely had but we weren't aware. And and um, yeah, we, we set up the the, the cyber defense in Germany at that time. I did this for more or less six years, and was um, one of the case officers of the the Bundestags incident, where APT twenty eight uh, was um, on on about
0: thirty machines there. From there, you moved on to the private sector.
1: Yes, um, finally, I, I found out that I had the end of my career there in the, in the public service. So uh, I was wondering, what what should I do? Will I stay here? for more than 20 years in the same role and I thought that's not enough and then I moved from there to Deutsche Bank and became the head of cyber threat intelligence for the EMEA area. At that time I had a a very long uh, notification period uh, at the public service so it took more than six months to leave and in the meantime Deutsche Bank had changed its strategy again so there was not a real uh, use for me or my team. And then I decided to do it somewhere else at the Allianz Insurance in Munich in the so-called ACDC, the Allianz Cyber Defense Center. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty interesting job, great team, great colleagues. But Munich is unbelievably expensive. Uh, and <laughs> it was v- very far from home from all my friends. Uh, and I got kind of homesick. And then I moved back and I got a chance to, to work with uh, Symantec. And I'm now the principal consultant for um, certain governmental um, customers. And it's very, very interesting. I'm doing pretty much the same that I did in the public service for um, other customers now.
0: Well, I'd love to get your your insights, your perspective on what the threat landscape is like in Germany. I I think that's not something those of us here in the States get a view of very often. Basically, it's not so much different
1: from from my point of view. Uh, Germany is, is uh, um, kind of the big players in the worldwide economy so everyone or each company uh, that is somehow uh, on the international market is competing with China with some other countries in far east then these companies or these entities, uh, let's say our Ministry of Foreign Affairs, for example, um, or the German military as part of the NATO, or um, big insurances, or whatever. Um, as long as you are part of the top 10 uh, in your vertical, then you are in the focus of, um, let's say, uh, the foreign intelligence services, industrial espionage, and so on. Hmm. so um the the problem is i i had um i had some some discussions with uh the with some people from the german automotive uh, sector uh and they say oh the, the chinese guys don't spy anymore on us if they want to know something they ask for it or they buy it um i guess that's not wrong but it's not true because hmm. um if you see what's the task of um um, an intelligence service. Uh, the task is gathering strategic uh, and economic uh, information. So, um, of course, they can sit with you at the desk and you discuss it and you hand over some papers, for example, but they don't trust you. So, if they have the capability to to get the information on uh from your pc from your machines from your electronic devices they will do because that's their task and if you hand over papers then you have only a a snippet of the whole data but if you can uh let's say rob the whole uh, data of a company or let's say, of a department of a Ministry of Foreign Affairs, for example, then you have the whole mindset. Then you have the discussions, you have the emails, uh, you have the total, um, at least most of the written communication, which leads to certain decisions. And this is what the intelligence services are after. Hmm. So if the German automotive industry thinks that they are no longer in, uh, in the focus of the uh, espionage, of, from foreign countries, not necessarily only China. There's, uh, for example, BMW uh, building a plant in Vietnam, and it's quite likely that the Vietnamese adopt
0: Chinese practices and start spying there too. Yeah, I suppose it's not just the successes that they're after. They want to know where you may have failed, where some of your research may have come up short. I mean, there's there's value in that kind of data as well that you wouldn't necessarily share with the public of course yeah that's
1: true if you hand over let's say um just a a technical drawing then you you still don't know how to produce it you you have you know how it has to look like but you still don't have a clue how to do it and then you have at least to ask for more papers or steal it from the pc of the engineers for example if you have a look at the um chinese uh, 10 or 50 year plans they are somehow condemned for success they want to be a market leader in nearly every sector in nearly every uh vertical uh in a very short period of time uh in, in in europe or in the united states it took about let's say 120 to 150 years to get where they are now and the chinese want to to catch up and they don't have 150 years' time. They, they only have 20 years of time or 50 years of time. Uh, and then they have to take some kind of a shortcut.
0: So they are forced to, to spy on you. I want to get your perspective on threat intelligence. Uh, obviously, that's uh, an area that you have a lot of experience with. You were the head of cyber threat intelligence at Deutsche Bank. What is your take when it comes to how organizations approach threat intelligence?
1: The first thing is that they have to... To, to get the the idea that they need it um, many companies rely on their uh, antivirus companies or whatever they they have there uh, but that's not enough because that that's a, a kind of a race between the defenders and the the attackers uh, and often uh, the attackers win and or it takes a week or a month to integrate new knowledge into your antivirus products but in the meantime, Uh, you are still vulnerable and then you have to to become kind of proactive and and start your own research. Uh, At first, uh, do my antivirus products or my anti-security products protect me from threat A or threat B? That is something you have to verify, that you need the threat intel uh, to get a, a kind of a threat landscape, a threat picture, what is threatening me? What is threatening my vertical? What is threatening my country? And then you have to verify how um, and what is threatening me, uh, and then do my products that I have there in my company uh, protect me against these um, threats? For for example, there is bin. There was some years ago there was uh, there was a paste there uh, which listed several hundreds or thousand Chinese uh, command and control domains and only uh, 10% of them were integrated in the defenses uh, of a German uh, aerospace manufacturer. And if these guys had their own threat intelligence, they likely would have known about these paste and were able to integrate these uh, information in their own uh, cybersecurity um, products. But they hadn't, uh, and finally, they um, there was a, a very uh, severe incident there, and the data got exfiltrated uh, to the C two servers from that, that were named uh, on the paste bin. So, but at that time, this paste uh, was already more than a year old. If they had had a threat intelligence, the uh, incident was, was um, could have very likely been prevented and that's hmm. is why you need uh, your own threat intelligence.
0: Do you think there are some common misconceptions that organizations have when it comes to threat intelligence? Yeah, that they, they most um, organizations think that they an
1: APT is just another form or another variant of cybercrime. Hmm. Um, but basically the, the typical cybercriminals are interested in a, a short success. Yeah, uh, getting in, get the money, get out. Never come back, and the APTs, the foreign intelligence services, are on a strategic level. That means uh, once you are in a focus, uh, you will stay there forever, likely, uh, unless they have all the information you got. Then they leave you perhaps two or three years alone, and they come back. But they will come back. That that's the difference and that l- brings me back to the to my uh, talks with the german automotive sector they think the the times of cyber espionage are over but that will never change once you are in the focus of a, an intelligence service you will stay there especially if you are a person of interest at least because you are a very talented engineer then you leave the company that has been in the focus of uh, the intelligence services then they will kind of follow you to your new company because you are the guy that that produces
0: uh, the value for them I suppose that's one of the things that that threat intelligence provides you is, is being able to know the difference between when you have criminals who are just on their way in and, and looking to get out as quickly as possible versus someone who's looking to set up camp and, and stay a while? Yeah.
1: Um, basically, cybercriminals are adopting uh, TTPs from intelligence agencies and vice versa. Nowadays, we have cybercriminals that wait for a year to to um, get to the final uh, action in at their uh, victims. The, the cyber criminals that that have uh, more time than than the years before because they are not anymore after uh, your uh, bank account they are trying to rob the whole bank yeah that that's a difference to let's say five years ago uh, you have the these guys from from uh, Lazarus somebody, uh, for example uh, that that tried to steal uh, one billion dollars from the the bank of Bangladesh for example yes and these, these um, kind of gangs are uh, very, very advanced. Um, so that that some people from the cybersecurity scene call them an APT too. But the classical APT is
0: usually a state-sponsored group. What sort of things are you hearing from your government clients in, in terms of the priorities they're setting, the, the types of uh, challenges that they face? So they are fighting at... at um,
1: they are fighting two wars in the end they they have the same problems with ransomware with uh, coin mining and all the the state of the art cyber criminal activities uh, on on one hand but on the other hand they are in the focus of chinese or russian or wherever they are coming from uh, apts it's hard for them uh, to prioritize because they have to do their day to day business fighting um with uh, cyber criminals uh, patching uh, and so on they have the the same problems that the economy has uh, like they don't have uh, enough skilled uh, staff for example uh, they don't know how to prioritize their their tasks w- which system has to be has to be patched I- in which uh, time frame and so on uh, and they are very very afraid of the um, political or uh, political espionage, for example, ABD 28, uh, would likely attack the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, or the German military. And then you have the problem that you have um, like a supply chain in the economy. You have the same, for example, uh, in, in the governmental area. That means, for example, uh, the NATO systems are interconnected, where it might be that your systems have a higher security standard uh, then, for example, uh, cybersecurity systems uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, for example, but you are connected, and then are these systems is trustworthy, and so on? And this is a, a real problem.
0: What are your recommendations for organizations that are that are looking to integrate threat intelligence, uh, who are looking to get started? Where should they begin?
1: I think they they should have um, a kind of consultant there that helps them to establish their own uh, cyber um, threat intelligence they they should at first develop the the, uh, the process internally who uh, what what do we do with with threat intel that that's uh, another problem it, it's not enough to have an organization that collects uh, intelligence for you you have um, somebody who is consuming it and, and uh, creates the 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 actions from it so that that's uh, not so easy the the cybersecurity organization has to do a step aside and um, they have to work closely with the threat intel people together, then uh, it's not too easy because um, the cybersecurity guys are are usually too talented to be interested in gathering threat intel. Mm. And the threat intel people do not necessarily understand cyber and cybersecurity. i I had some meetings um, with with people from the fbi some some years ago and this works like you have a liaison officer basically a field agent who is a very very good investigator in the real world these guys usually don't understand cyber and then we said okay we need a cyber guy at the desk and then the cyber guy came at the desk he didn't understand the investigative part So you you need a kind of um, uh, of a translator or a person who can can understand both worlds, and this is usually uh, the most difficult part of it. The most important thing is that if you are competing on the world market with a Chinese or Far East company, then it's likely that they try to get into your network, and then they never ever will step back. They will attack each day and, uh, and you cannot
0: underestimate the threat. Our thanks to Jörg Schauf from Symantec for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.